everyone and welcome back to 4.0 in life with me Dina your host and you know I love a great guest and this one is taking it home to the family I'm uber excited to introduce my uncle and I know it's not since 1912 but he has been in the radio industry since 1912 literally I'm pretty sure he invented it move over Edison you don't have the greatest invention my uncle Chet Tart does hello and thank you so much for being on my podcast well, it's an honor to be on the podcast that's great that you're doing what I'm proud of you I had to say like um I was a little nervous to interview you because I was like I have to make sure my setup looks good and I have to make sure the sound is good because this is this is your life like you do this this is full time <laughs> yeah but everything has changed it used to be you had this airline plane of a control room now you have a little box it's true <laughs> you know when I started in radio we had a we had cart machines we had dials we had flippers we had buttons to press it was like a whole you walked in there it looked like an airplane now you can do it from your cell phone right here yeah that's true actually that's how um that's how I started I started off on anchor.fm and I literally before I realized I had the I had the equipment I was recording on my phone and I'm like that's not smart so yeah very true and I'm happy I didn't start when you did because I probably would hit all the wrong buttons and get fired within seconds. <laughs> uh, my first job, I was fired. The oh. reason being, I was so nervous of being on the air, I couldn't get the needle on the record, and it kept bouncing around. And so, <laughs> uh, and then when you open the microphone, my voice was this because you're so scared. Oh, so, oh no. it was my first job, and it was outside of Boston, and. Uh, I think I lasted an hour. Well, were you were like, were you super young too? Or? 19. Okay, that's, yeah. And that could be hard, like, I don't know, walking into a studio and having all these expectations. And for our youngsters that are like, put the needle on the record. It's not just part of a song. We didn't use CD, well, like CDs, forget about CDs. I mean, does anyone use a CD now? They're throwing it back. Legit records, vinyl, the real deal. I still honestly, like, I love I'm inheriting my grandmother's um, stereo that has a record player on it this weekend. I'm so excited. All her Tom <laughs> Jones stuff. I'm very, I'm very excited. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm glad those days are over. It's so much fun with my, I'm in the car with the grandkids. I go, what song you want to hear? Okay. Just talk into the speaker. Okay, here we go. Oh yeah. You know, the old days of getting the record, make sure the needle doesn't scratch the record. And by the way, when I was in radio, we used to play these songs over and over again. And they were called cue marks because you had to cue the record up to the beginning. So when one record and the next record started and you hear whoosh, because they were queued up so many times to play. So we had like 45s like this. And we had about 10 of them that the record companies would mail it to us because we would wreck the, 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 the songs would be wrecked on the record. So we had to throw them away and put a new one in there. Oh yeah. I was going to say, cause usually it's like a button that cues the next song and you, so you had to change it out really quick and put it back on? Yes. Oh, my God. We had four turntables in a room, and you sat there. And what you would do is that you would do your spiel on the radio, talk. Then you would hit the button, and the record would start. Now, if the turntable was slow, you had to have the turntable going and your finger on the record so that when you finished what you're doing, you took your finger off, and the song would start immediately so it wouldn't hear rounds. So it would start right on time. Oh but um, the radio station was loaded with records because we destroyed them. Yeah. And it, so if a hit would come out, whatever the hit was at the time, um, 
you had about 15 copies of that song that was sent to the radio station so that it wouldn't make, so it wouldn't be sound terrible on the air. And there are times you just ran out of songs. You had to call the record company. I need 10 more of these songs. Oh my God. So I wonder if like back then, like maybe that's the time to come out as an artist because you had to keep producing and making more vinyl to produce for the radio station. Right. And then we went into CDs, which wasn't any better because the CDs would, would jump because you'd put a CD in a machine and we'd play it a million times. And it would just wear, and it, with all the disc jockeys handling the CDs, there was fingerprints and things all over it. So the song we'd play and be jumping all over the place on the air because, you know, we didn't know. So each, each, each element had problems. Today, I, you could leave the studio and it would just take care of itself. The computer would take care of it. you. weren't there, it played the next record. It would throw in a liner, it play a commercial. No one ever knows. And today, most of the radio stations are voice tracked. There's no one there. Okay. So it's like all pre-recording, get it done, and just hit play. I have a buddy of mine that's down here in uh, Florida that does a show in New York City. And um, he does a show from his house. Half of it's pre-recorded. It's a morning show. You never know. Oh, are you talking about, um, what's his face? Scott Shannon. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, but you yeah. you started with him, right? Uh, 95.5 or no? No. He, um, when I went to New York, he started a radio station called Z100. Back he in, started it? Yes. Wait, the, what is the date he started it? Because I am, I want to believe that it's on my birthday, but I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. It was August and it was in, and it was um, 83, 82. I forgot what year. He would know. Okay, because so, I always believe that actually, we we became friends. Um, okay, we were we were going to a convention together, and we were both on the same plane. And I introduced myself because I was working in New York, and um, he said, "I like the new radio station put on the air last month." He says, "Yeah," and I said, uh, "Then we talked, and we talked the whole flight, the whole because radio people talk about radio until nauseum. We talked the whole flight out, talked the whole flight back." And we just became friends. He lived in Montclair at the time. And uh, I lived in Lyndhurst at the time. And we used to, I used to go to his house. Then my fr- the president of Atlantic Records lived in Bloomfield. So we would all get together. I mean, I have some incredible stories about the fun we used to have on Thanksgiving and things like that. And then they created this thing called MTV. And my buddy became the um, program director of MTV. And on Thanksgiving, we all used to hang together. So I would go to the family for Thanksgiving and I'd go to their house for desserts. And um, I have I have great stories about all these artists I met, which I didn't care about. I didn't know who I was meeting. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told you the story. Um, this is a, this is an interesting story. So my buddy says to me, "Hey, Chet, uh, we're premiering. Shows you how old I am. We're premiering a brand new album called Four by Foreigner." I said, oh, Lou Graham's going to be there? He said, yeah. I said, great, because I knew Lou at the time. And um, he said, you want to go on the boat ride? It's going to go around New York, and we're going to have a brand new um, album. I said, well, who's going? Because I hate going alone. He said, well, Scott's going. You'll see him there. I said, okay. So we got on this ship, and we t- it's not a ship. It's a boat. It's a party boat. It's three layers. And uh, we're, we're on the uh, – going around, and um, – and there's all celebrities on it, and Scott doesn't show up. And I don't know if you've been at a party when you don't know anybody, and you go, I better get a drink in my hand so I look like I know what I'm doing. And I walk around, and everybody was in there clicks and talking. And then I saw a friend of mine, I knew, Lee Abrams. 
Lee Abrams started XM Radio. So I went over to talk to him. He's talking to somebody. Now, I'm in the radio business, and my job is a consult radio station. So he's talking to somebody, and he introduces me to him. And I said, oh, how you doing? He says, great. I don't know who the guy is. I don't care who the guy is. So I said, so what do you do? He says, oh, I'm in a van. Great. We talked a little bit more, and I think he was think I was screwing around with him. And I said, uh, what do you do in that van? He says, I'm the lead singer. And I said, no, I don't know who this guy is. By the way, can I ask you what band you're with? And he looked at me and started laughing. He said, yes, Led Zeppelin. Oh, my God. I said, oh, you're Led. <laughs> so that's the kind of life I'm leading. You know, I bump into people all the time. You know, I just about met everybody. You know, going back to this, you know who got me into this business, don't you? No. You don't know any of these stories, do you? No. I mean, all I know is that, like, I remember you telling us about Scott Shannon and, you know, the bench, like, New York City. And then I remember, because I was little when you moved to San Francisco. And I always just be like, yes, that's my uncle. He's in radio. (laughs) And I never knew, like, the ins and outs or whatnot. Well, I was in college at a a school that doesn't exist anymore at the time. It's called Biscayne College. And uh, I went down with a buddy of mine from high school who we're still friends with. And in order to help pay for the school, I was cleaning floors and I was um, cleaning the college and also answering the phones. That's another stuff. So all this stuff is going to be tied together. So one of the times I was cleaning the floors, I was inside the office and one of the guys said to me, he said, you look like a pretty smart guy. What would you like to do? I said, I don't, because you, why at this can? I said, I don't know. I said, it was probably because it was Florida. I wanted to get out of New Jersey. I said, I want to host a Tonight Show. He (laughs) said, do you want a job at a radio station or TV station if I can set it up for you? I said, yes, yes, yes. So I said, okay, I'm going to get you a better job. There's a paying job over with um, the Dolphins. I said, the Dolphins? I said, I don't know anything about the fish. No, it's the football team. I'm going to introduce you to Don Shula. And you're going to go over there and you work with him for a while. I said, okay. And I'll get you a job at this radio station. So I got this job at this radio station in downtown Miami. So I had to take a bus. And, uh, you know, I'm riding in bad neighborhoods to get out to the, but I wanted to be in a radio station. You know, if you have a passion for anything, you just do it. And I didn't care what it took. So I had my part-time job to pay for the, the bus fare to get to the radio station. So... Radio to me was, I wanted to be on the air, but he said to me, you're going to have to work and answer the phones. It's a talk radio station, but I had no interest in a talk radio station. I wanted music. So I got to the talk, but I was inside a radio station, which also had a TV station, which was great. So I'm answering the phones for this guy each night from seven to nine o'clock at a radio station called WIOD in, in Miami. And um, what back then the, the talk show host was behind glass and you were on this side. And when the phone calls come in, I had to screen the phone calls, make sure there weren't some crazy people. And then I write your name down, Dina, call on line one and hold it up to the screen like this. I go, Dina's on line one. <laughs> the engineer's over here and the engineer would take the phone calls and dump it. We were on delay in case there was any bad things said. And so after two weeks, the guy goes like this, calls me and goes like this. The engineer said, I think you're screwed. He said, why? What did I do? He said, he never calls anyone in the studio because he's a jerk and he doesn't like people in there. So I walk in, 
He says to me, Chet, you know, you're one of the best producers that I've ever had here, and you've done, done a good job. What are you doing in Florida? I said, I don't know. I want to get into this business. He said, I need you to get out of this place, and I need you to transfer to another college if you want to get into this business. I said, really? He says, either you go to Syracuse University or go to Emerson College in Boston. You pick it out. I said, sir, I can't make decisions. Could you just pick out the right college for me? <laughs> so, and this is all a true story. And he says, I suggest you go to Emerson College. I said, okay. And let me know how you're doing and communicate with me on and off. I said, okay, I'll let you know how I'm doing and I'll do that. And I applied to Emerson College and got accepted. By the way, that guy's name was Larry King. So that's how I got into this business. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, my God. But then I went to Emerson College. And I got to tell you, one of the best experiences in the world to go to Emerson College. Um, my roommate, and now this, by the way, remember I said I was answering phones at Biscayne College? Yeah. I was answering phones every other day to make money with another guy I went to college. His name is Dom Irera. He's a stand-up comedian today. You've probably seen him on TV and Seinfeld and things like that. So he was the phone answer with me. That's crazy. So we're still friends and became friends. And whenever they did interviews, I go, oh, I'll pick up Dom. He goes, you know Dom? I said, yeah, we went to college together. So I picked him up and we put him on the radio interview. So I go to Emerson College and um, I went to school with some incredible um, characters <laughs> I call them characters my classmate in psychology class was jay leno oh my god stop i used to park my car at his parents house because i couldn't afford to park in boston so i went to brookline parked the car and get on the green line go back to boston oh. and then i had to go back and move it across the street because every other day you had to move it to another side of the street because i couldn't afford to park the car so i said jay can i park it at your parents house yeah i knew him Stephen Wright was a guy I went to school with, and he'd be on the corner, a weird guy. He's now a comedian today. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. And then there's a few other people that I went to school with, and I used to see their name on the screen at the end of movies and stuff like that. So um, Rod Sterling was one of our teachers in TV production. I had Agnes Moorhead as a teacher. I had Carol Channing as a teacher. I had Norman Lear as a teacher. So these were all teachers in his school. And, um, you know, everyone was going to be a writer, producer. Everyone's going to be famous. And me too. And that's the way we're going to school there. One guy, one guy was a freshman when I was a senior. And he goes, I'm going to be a writer in Hollywood. And you know, good luck. Because that two friends went out there and just didn't make it. That guy today is retired because he and a partner wrote a TV show that became very, very famous. And uh, he's back at Emerson now teaching. And I'm on the board of directors for Emerson, and I'm also, I got, I got the award called the Emerson College Hall of Fame Award, which is right here. Oh my God, it's so nice. It's like a, um, one of those MTV Clear Glass Awards. Look at you. That yep. is awesome. I'm obsessed. I didn't know, and I didn't, oh my God, I feel like a dingbat because James's brother went to Emerson. Really? Yes. I'm like, oh, like, I feel like I'm really behind the eight ball here. Oh, my God. <laughs> that so the, is the coolest thing. So the friend of mine who wrote that TV show, you know what the TV show is called? I'm probably going to fall off my chair in a second. Friends. Stop. Are you serious? Nope. So 
I said, I saw him at a reunion. I said, so how, how's things going for you? He says, I never have to work a day in my life. Oh, no. So what he's done is he volunteered himself. He is teaching at Emerson and teaching production. And then um, it, it, it's just a group of people that was good. So that's the background how I got started in this business. And of course, I don't think you remember, but I moved all over the United States. I know. I might, honestly, I was nervous when you were living in Kansas. That made me nervous with the tornadoes. Although I was kind of envious because, you know, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, you were close by. <laughs> oh, I lived in Maryland. I lived in New Hampshire. I lived in Boston. I lived in Indiana. I lived in Arizona. I lived in Kansas. I lived in California. And now we live in Florida for the last 22 years. Favorite place, though? <sighs> California and Arizona. Okay. And Florida, by the way, I like living here. And uh, now this is home. I'm really entrenched in the community here. Yeah. I, I like, I remember when I, I, God, I haven't been down there a long time, um, and I really embarrassed myself on what I did not know was PBA National. <laughs> I had no idea it was a real deal course, but I want to thank my uncle for allowing me to go golf with some pros and look like a hot mess on the you golf play, course. You play on the course that's now the Honda Classic course. I got to be honest, my game is probably not as strong. I do want to get into it. And this is why I'm like, you know, my husband did say we should move to Florida because he has family in Florida too. Where? Um, I'm having a brain fart. They're so not maybe Orlando, I think. That's so where like Elizabeth, an, Elizabeth lives. Yeah. In so it's like an hour away from me, right? That's not too far. Two hours. It is two. Okay. Well, I think about like my sister lives in Virginia, my younger sister, and it's not really a bad commute. She's four hours away. So two hours isn't horrible. But I, you know, I, I got to admit, like, you guys have some great weather. Although the summers are really hot. I don't know how you do it. It's not. By the way, I travel to Washington, D.C. I travel up to New York. It's, the heat is the same. Yeah. It's just constant. You have a okay. break. You have a cold spell or something like that. But I would could tell you that New York is brutal in the summer. And it's probably cooler here at times than it is up there. I'm looking at the temperature. The only thing is we have it, it starts in June and it doesn't stop till October. Oh my God. And it depends. It could be October 15th or it could be November 1st. And the only thing that's brutal now is that the hurricanes have increased in power before a hurricane came through. It's like, oh yeah, okay. Now hurricane fives and fours have increased. That would rip this house apart. Oh my God. Are they doing different things for you? Um, I guess like our materials for the homes being built differently to withstand. Yes. In okay. fact, um, we have um, our, our roof's going to be, they, they call it Miami Dade um, uh, coated because after all that hurricanes that hit Miami Dade, they changed all the coating and everything. We do have a skylight that's a bubble skylight and they change it to flatten. So we're okay. going to have brand new skylights put in there. But uh, our house was built pre-1990, so the new uh, roofs have not, we don't have a new uh, hurricane-proof Category 5 roof. Now they build the homes with these new Category 5 hurricanes, because my roof could be blown off. Oh, my God. Jeez. Well, as long as you're safe, that's all that matters. Yeah, we'll see. I'll still be in the bathroom hiding. <laughs> well, they have, um, I see like a lot of people, what they're doing now after there was those couple hurricanes that, uh, in the, was it in the Midwest, I don't know exactly where it hit, 
they're now going. So if you go into your driveway, they dig into like they're in your actual driveway. They dig into the driveway concrete foundation and then they build the storm shelters below. And then this way you're still in your house. You don't have to go outside to go to say a storm shelter and whatnot. And I was like, Oh, I guess that's probably the new, cause you're under your house. So even if your house lifts up and over or whatever may be the case, you're still protected underneath, which is, I don't know how much that would cost to do. <laughs> well, I was, we had a hurricane when we lived in Kansas and we were having a birthday party for, I think Caroline Elizabeth and some friends. And um, I said, oh, let me go out with my camera and videotape it. Are you crazy? We were in the basement. And I went out and I'm watching. They're about four miles away. There's a car dealership. And I saw the sign blowing down my street. I said, I think I better get inside. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I remember Elizabeth used to tell me about the experience. And I can't. Like, you watch it in a movie. You don't. It's not real. And I, I can't even imagine, like, seeing something like that close. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> yeah, it is it is real. At, at first, when you haven't seen it, it's kind of exciting. Then it gets scary because you'll see the damage. Yeah. Um, there's one time where that hurricane just missed our neighborhood. And I went down the block and the houses were gone. Oh, my God. And I'm only four blocks away from that area. They were just gone. That's scary. But I've lived in that. I've lived in earthquakes. You remember the San Francisco earthquake? Yeah. That, we, oh. we moved... 30 days before that hit. That's crazy. And Santa Cruz was the favorite. That whole city of Santa Cruz was leveled. And the house that we sold, luckily we did, had cracks all over it because of the earthquake. And the city was never the same again. So I've lived in earthquakes, I've lived in hurricanes, and I've lived in tornadoes. So you sure you don't want to be like a weatherman now? (laughs) You know what? (laughs) You should have, you should have a book. You should come out with a book, like, you know, something with, like, you ha- you've lived through the trifecta of all of, you know, Mother Nature's warrior soldiers and just <laughs> your experiences. And now yeah. coronavirus. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> coronavirus. Oh, my God. I can't. I have to admit, when you're talking about, like, because I didn't know these deep stories, like, for me, that's always been my drive to want to be in this type of industry because I like the backstories. I like to, I don't care about meeting the celebrities and any of that. Like it's knowing how someone got there and who they met along the way. Like, you know, most people be like, Oh my God, Jay Leno, but you know, Jay Leno from a, a true experience, not just you met him yesterday. You were at the show. That's great. And The biggest thing I think the problem is, is like, you're giving your story. I'm going to have like listeners listening in. And I feel like people are missing out on something really important called the hustle and like, you know, the work towards how, how could you explain from your experiences from when you started to now, what really has to go into this to get where you're at right now? I always tell people, you want to do what I did, or you want to do what somebody else did. You don't really want to do it. When I first got into the radio business, I was in college, and I had three jobs. I was a TV engineer at Channel 7 in Boston. I was a producer uh, for a talk show at WEEI in Boston, and I was also a disc jockey on the weekends in New Hampshire. So I had to drive, and I went to school full-time. So I had to drive up to New Hampshire, and I did the Saturday night show, turned the station off, slept on the floor, brought all my food, and woke up the next day and did the morning show on Sunday morning and then drove home. 
And the more, and back then, this, you know, I did 6 a.m. to noon. That's a long time to be on the air. Two, well, Sunday was two hours of Jesus and God, and then after that, it's me. But I had to run those tapes. So I did that for years, and then I got, you know, my first job was at another radio station in New Hampshire, and, you know, it was $125 a week, and I had to buy a one-room place and live in that for a while. Uh, I got to tell you, though, everyone I hung around with was more important than my job because everyone wanted to succeed. Uh, for instance, when I went to school at Emerson, everybody wanted to be a star. So everyone wanted to do something, and the drive was unbelievable. A friend of mine, I don't know if you ever heard of the Big Apple Circus. Yeah. Okay. You know, the main character in that place uh, was a guy, uh, was a friend of mine who played Grandma. You remember him? His picture was everywhere. No. Well, he was the main marketing character and the main clown. His name is Barry Lubin. Barry was upstairs, and I was downstairs in the dorm. And uh, we always talked. We always sit down and talk about how do we win? How do we get better? How do we do this? Um, and Jane Leno was always doing stand-up comedian. Nobody would show up half the time to see him, and he made money by cleaning um, these cars. These really antique cars and that's where he really made his money but he was out he went to class he went to do these cars and then he did stand-up comedians he would say come and see me come and see me enough of coming and see you but nobody was there uh and we all started with nothing and you know when i'm looking at uh, Stephen wright who became famous he was on the corner all the time playing the guitar wanted people to come by and see him he had the thing open we put money into it uh the guitar case so you know it's really everyone you know, I had friends who did, who was in TV production. I had the guy who produced and created with the top guy at Good Morning America. Um, all these people were driven. So imagine being in that environment where if you're not driven with them, you just get run over. And then when I got on the air, we were all competitive with each other, but I needed to do the morning show because I felt that's the best position on a radio station. I'm not doing middays. I'm not doing afternoons. Everywhere I want, I'm doing the morning show. I have to be the morning guy. I got to be the morning guy. I got to be in a bigger market. So I was in New Hampshire. Then I was in Indianapolis. And I go, I'm in a big market. That wasn't big enough. Then I had to go to Tucson. And I want to be doing that. And I lived there. Then I got on TV. Then I was doing TV weather for a while. And, it, and then I went to New York to become a consultant. So I had 125 radio stations. And I said, I'm buying these. Yeah. And I remember my parents saying to me, can you buy these things? I said, yeah. Well, how do you, how much do they cost? It's all about a million dollars. A million, where are you going to get that from? And, you know, I'm around people all the time. I said, I got to go get a million dollars. So I met a guy on the road because I was traveling. And I said, you know, we need to raise money to buy a radio station. And I'm this calm. Who should we go to? I said, I don't know. Let's go see Donald Trump. He's down the block. He's rich. <laughs> so we went down to his office and we talked to people there and I had a whole business plan put together and I do have a rejection letter from him saved and I have it signed and everything else. Uh, we went to millionaires all over New York city. And finally I got money from a guy named W. Clement Stone. I don't know if you ever heard that name. Mm -mm. Clement Stone was partners with a guy named Napoleon Hill who wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich. You ever read that book? No. If you've never read that book, it'll change your life. Okay. It will change your life to another level. It's the most powerful book ever written. It was written in the 30s. 
um, Napoleon Hill and Norma uh, W. Clement Stone created a magazine called Success Magazine, which is still available everywhere. And um, he said to me, I'm going to introduce you to my son, Norman Stone, who lives in San Francisco. He would love to invest in your radio station, but you got to do us a favor. I want you to train my grandson because my grandson doesn't know the value of a dollar. His grandson was constantly, you know, when you're in that family, very wealthy, he had a trust fund of a million dollars a year being let out them each year. And of course he doesn't know the value of the dollars because a million dollars being given to him every year. That's his income. So that's how I bought my first radio station. I'll never forget coming home one night. I go, I'm moving to California. You are? Yeah, I bought a radio station. How'd you get a million dollars? I said, it wasn't easy, but I got one. It took a year to get the money. Oh my God. So we paid a million dollars. I got a partner. We built this radio station in Monterey, California. And um, there we went to camp. So, you know, then I bought a station here for $70 million and got that money from the people I worked at at the gym. Oh my God. So these are all the backstories you don't know, but you have to have an intense group of people around you. You have to have encouragement. I don't know if you ever heard this phrase but this is the most important phrase i tell my kids and i tell my grandkids be careful you are a product of the five people you hang with period if i could put that up at a college dorm or a high school dorm i'd put it up somewhere and put a big sign a billboard says you are the product of the five people you hang with period watch out who you hang with watch out what you watch watch what you take in you know they say what you eat you become but what you see and what goes in your mind is the same thing. That's really true. I need to put that in a classroom, I think. <laughs> you are the product of the five people that you hang with. And that doesn't mean you don't have to see people anymore. You just don't spend much time with them. You don't talk to them. If they're not encouraging and inspiring you and coaching you and pushing you to another level, they're not the right people. I so, so I always say, and I'll say to you, what do you want to do? Get a plan. What's your growth system? What are you doing every day to grow? If you're not, then you're turning brown, like the grass outside. Yeah, <laughs> very true. There was, um, here's another story. I mean, there's a lot of stories you don't know. Back in the uh, 90s, you could call up any publisher of any book and talk to the author because they wanted to sell their book, and I was at the radio station. So I'd lie and I'd call them up and I said, listen, I want to talk to Stephen Covey. I want to talk to Tony Robbins. I want to talk to this person. They have a new book out. I have a radio station. I want to do an interview with them. Okay. They'd come back and set up this interview and they would um, uh, give me a date and I would interview them. Never got on the radio. It was for me. Back then, <laughs> back then you couldn't tell if it was on the radio or not because there was no, there's no transparency as there is in today's society. So I called Stephen Covey. He wrote a book called Seven Habits. I don't know if you ever heard of that book. Another powerful book to read. There's a lot of books out there you start. You should start reading. Change everything. Uh, so I said, Stephen, I said, you know, I'm running a company. I want to know what your most important value is when you're a leader and a manager. What is it? He said to me the following, John, which I never, of all the things he said, this is what he says. He said, your employees are like plants. A good plant you water, feed, and put in the sun and take out of the sun so you pay attention to it. If you're a bad leader, you don't do anything to that plant. Just leave it in the corner. What happens? It turns brown and dies. 
So if you want to have great employees and great people around you, you need to feed them. You need to feed them. You need to water them. You need to pay attention to them. You need to cut the dead parts off. You need to put them in the sun and take them out of the sun. And I'll never forget that in the moment. So I have all these interviews, all these great authors, but I can't play them anymore because they're on cassettes and there's nowhere to play a cassette. And by the way, cassettes in my garage have become crinkly and they just turn into dust. So I don't even have these. Oh no. So in all my years, I put everything together. I've saved all my business cards, all my clippings and all everything else. And I put them in a book and I gave them to Charlie, my grandson. I said, so when I'm gone, you will know who your grandfather was. Oh, stop. I love that. <laughs> That's like a grandpa's picture, I, you know, I have when he played baseball. And yeah. we all made copies of it. And I put it in um, a frame. And, you know, we don't have a lot from him. But, I, you know, when my son gets older, I want him to know, like, you know, you're a great pop-pop he was a great baseball player. And honestly, to the day, like I, I tell everyone, I said the one thing that my grandfather taught me, and it was, it was a twisted, it was a twisted lesson. I was <laughs> what, maybe two and a half, three years old. And he's teaching me how to play tic-tac-toe, not because he wants me to play a game, but he never let me win. And at three years old, you figure you let the kid win. And I remember he used to say to me all the time, no, you need to try. You're not going to win. I, you know, and it's crazy at three years old. This is the one thing I remember other than grandma's sauce. I remember he would never let me win. And he said, well, you have to try. You have to keep trying or there's no reason to play the game. And I'm like, so that's always kind of been my mantra and kind of keep on playing and tic-tac-toe. And I usually don't win tic-tac-toe often, even though I know there's such a great twist to play it. But that was, uh, that was my learning from him. <laughs> By the way, you know, all his statistics are online. Do you know that? I saw, yeah, I saw that. Like if you go online, you could see everything. And I'm like, this is so cool. This so cool. we went on a cruise with Elizabeth and her husband and his uh, her husband and, and the husband's family. And as a present, she bought me one of your grandfather, my dad's baseball hats of the minor league he played in of the, of the St. Paul. And she found it online. How she found it, I don't know. But she said all she went online, found all the statistics, all the teams he played with. Most of them are disbanded, don't exist anymore, but St. Saint Paul existed. And so she bought me the hat as a memory, so I wore it on the cruise a lot. That's so crazy that she found that. Oh, my God. Yeah, she, a... found, she found the hat. And uh, Caroline has this baseball glove. Right, I remember that. That's awesome. Yeah. So there's a lot of memories in the family. and um, Yeah, definitely. And... But it shows the driven in, in you know, us to keep on – you know, I like to say we have a uh, grandpa's drive to keep pursuing and keep going at it. I, there's still some part of me that like kicks myself. Cause I know like when you said, when you were explaining like the whole, like push yourself, I wish I pushed myself more to be like in the music industry. Cause I, I still miss it. Like I look at my guitar on the wall and I'm like, you dope. Like, <laughs> but then there's the other part of me too, that like, I was I was scared because I knew I had to provide for myself and I was so nervous that I would never make enough money. And that's why I went back to teaching because I was so scared that I wouldn't be able to make something of myself. And I guess, like you said, I had people in my ear that shouldn't have been in my ear, shouldn't have been the top five saying like, Oh, you're not going to make it. You're not going to do it. And unfortunately I folded and that was. You know. Well, as a coach, I would say, change your self-talk your self-talk convinced you what you were doing when you're scared you're growing 
That's what you got to look at. Every time I'm scared, I'm growing. And then when I'm growing, who do I want to surround myself with is going to take me to another level. And the people who don't take you to another level needs to be taken out. They just need to be taken out of the conversation. And, and I, would have said, I would have said to you, um, you will make it. You'll make money and you'll make lots of money. It's when you want to do it. What do you have to do to do it? You need to make a list. I have to practice every day. I mean, look at, there's a, there's an, um, a documentary on, on Sunday nights right now called The Last Dance, Michael Jordan. This guy practiced more than anyone else and was tenacious with anyone else and surrounded himself with only the best people. Now, there's an interview with, with a few people that played on his team and said, if it wasn't for Michael Jordan, we wouldn't have been better because he demanded the best from us. And he just said, if you can't do it, you can't be on the team. You can't play with me. And imagine if someone said to you, listen, you can't stay in the house if you, didn't, if you don't sing and don't make money. What would you do? What would you do? I keep saying, what would, what would have changed? So if you don't want to do that now, what do you want to do now that's going to be better? What's going to make you stand out? What's going to make you different? What's going to make you say, here's my question all the time. I'm having a conversation with you three years from now. What will happen if I say to you, what are you doing now that three years ago that you can't, you were going to say, wow, look what I did. I mean, let's go back to, I got into radio. I was scared out of my mind. I got fired from my first job. Look at all the people I met around me. Uh, I'm great friends with Scott Shannon. As my wife said, this guy calls you for advice. He's the number one disc jockey in, in New York. He's calling you. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> Because there's a trust thing. There's a trust thing. When I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. You know, he wants to buy a radio station with me. And I said, I don't know. He said, you have so much fire in you and we'll do this together. And I said, all right, maybe we'll do it together. I this, is, this is now he's asking you this? Last week. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so awesome. It's still going. That is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, so you want to do that? I said, well, you know, so... How, how, how am I supposed to meet somebody that big? He's a, he's the radio hall of fame in Chicago. He's the biggest name in this business. He has syndicated shows. Um, when I worked in New York, I worked with, Oh, this is fun. Um, I don't know if you remember, um, have you ever seen the, um, private parts with Howard Stern? Yes. <laughs> remember his program director, big vomit. Yeah. Well, I was friends with him. His name is Kevin Matheny. Kevin and I were friends, and he would always talk to me about how difficult Howard was to work with. And so I'd go over there, and I was with him and Howard and Imus. They were, that's all part of my life. Um, you know, I know all the backstories of all these people, and these guys are driven. These are not normal people who are like, except go, oh, okay, I guess I can't do it. If you're around these people, they're just driven, and they're not as – they're crazy people, and the reason they're crazy is because they're driven to another level. And by the way, Imus and Howard are the nicest people in the world when you get to know them. They're not what you think they are. They're right. just, they're highly insecure. They're like, oh, this is going to be tough. They're scared to death like you are. We're based on ratings. When I was on the air and they're on the air, your ratings, you either get money or you're fired. So what are you going to do? You know, my, my question to everybody is, what are you going to do? Are you going to cave and accept it? I'm on my battery. 
you're going to get better. I mean, I was out every weekend doing stuff. I was out handing flowers. I had a mascot with me. I rode public transportation. I signed up. That's the craziest. I'm signing autographs. Who am I? I'm on the radio. But that's how you get ratings. You've got to be in public. You've got to do something. You've got to be driven. I mean, there's so many great people. I mean, Lou Graham was the lead singer of Foreigner. I mean, this guy practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and, you know, to the point. I got a friend of mine who does public speaking. Before he does public speaking every day for an hour, he's practicing the speech he's given. And then when he gets up there, he doesn't give that speech. But he's so confident going up there because he's practiced so much. I mean, look at, you know, down the block here is Tiger Woods. You know, he's there all the time practicing. I don't care what golf course you go to. He's practicing, practicing, practicing. And, you know, and they're out in public. I mean, they're, they're not hidden people. And when you're around here all the time and you see them, no one cares. It's yeah. the people that don't, don't live here that, like, are <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but if you look at these people's personalities, they're highly, highly driven people that want to succeed. And by the way, it is not easy. So I always say, hey, you want to do that? Not easy. And then if you give up, you weren't passionate about it. You really didn't want it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in your life you really, really wanted? Think about it. Yeah. What did, you, what did you do to go get it? Did you do something on a regular basis? Did you think about it? Was it in your mind? Because whatever you think about, energy goes to. And when that energy goes, you go through that energy and you're going to get it, get it, get it. Think about that. Yeah. So you have to, first of all, you have to be passionate. That's my, my first thing. Second of all, you got to get a group of people around you who's going to support you. And third of all is that there's no way that you can lose. It's called burning the... You ever hear the, the story about burning the ships? Mm-mm. Another great book. You <laughs> You're great. I have, I have to create a library. <laughs> it's about um, the Spanish uh, people coming over here uh, and discovering America. And um, they thought, hey, if we don't like it, we'll go back. So he burnt the boats. He said, we're not going back. We are going to make it work here. And they were terrified and they made it work. They came to Florida and they, and they created, you know, St. Augustine. But it was, he, he, he had people who, oh, you know, let's go back. This is difficult. It's too, so it's called burning the boats. And that's mm-hmm. a, a phrase they use all the time. You got to burn the boats. You just got to burn the boats and move on. But you have to have that mental strength. If you don't have it, it's because of the people around you. Yeah. You watch the news every day, you listen to people every day, and you are a product of that. That's true. Especially now. Very true. So what do you want to do? What do you want to be? You can be it. I have I, when I coach people, I said, write stuff down so that these are called triggers. You mm-hmm. put them in front of you and they're in your pocket. And they're laminate. They're in this book. They're in the car. They're over here. Because you got to remind yourself, too. I use Post-its a lot. <laughs> it's kind of a, yeah. a, little, a little obsessive, but I love Post-its. You were born rich up here. Mm-hmm. It's all that counts. Everything that you sit, talk, you talk to yourself more than anybody else. And what are you saying to yourself? Is it positive or negative? I can or can't do. So, you know, I tell that, look at Elizabeth and Caroline. Caroline has this big farm that she put together. She has goats and chickens and ducks, and we got all the eggs and everything else there. <laughs> and she did it herself. And uh, she has three kids. And it, it, you know, you, 
And, and Elizabeth said to me, a tarp doesn't lose. I don't know where she got that from. A what did she say? A what doesn't lose? A tarp doesn't lose. Oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> and my wife said, what did you do to these kids? So no, I just told them to. They can win anything they want. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I want to vinyl that on a shirt. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Send it to Elizabeth. She came up with that phrase. I will. I will. That's so cool. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God. And then like, so then I just found out more about you before we were recording. You also have another hat that you wear and I feel, okay, so like now I'm in the game and I'm ready. So you also have a podcast. Right. Uh, <laughs> when, when did you, so what was it? 2018 was started? I started you know, it was one of those things where I, ha- I want to talk to more and more successful people because mm-hmm. the more you talk to them, it's how you become successful. And I, and I love being curious and asking a lot of questions. And I was listening to all these podcasts and go, oh, these people are terrible doing podcasts. In fact, some of the biggest podcasters, I, I emailed them and said, listen, I've been in radio and you want me to help you, I'll help you. And some said yes and some said no. So I, help some people do a better podcast. You can't do ums and buts and thinking and uh, <laughs> somebody asked a question. Uh, you don't have an answer. To, you know, you don't come back like this. I said, you need to do your homework on these people and prepare for yeah. this. So I did a podcast and I decided I'm going to interview people who are very successful. You know, um, yesterday we finished a podcast that went up last night by the president of Penske talking about racing. And how innovative they were during this time they were shut down and how they had iRacing on television and made just as much money as they did when they were doing live racing. But now they're going to go live. Very interesting guy. And if you talk to these people, highly driven. The president of Yum Foods, Pizza Hut, Pepsi, Frito-Lays, all of them. What was it that made you successful? The president of uh, the ex-president and CEO of Dunkin' Donuts. The ex, uh, I talked to the ex-CEO um, of Neiman Marcus. They all have different personalities, but they're all into quality and driven. Uh, we had a conversation with uh, General um, Crystal. Um, he was uh, the, the guy who led the Bin Laden raid. Mm-hmm. So when you talk to these people, you get into their minds, and you have to be very curious about what was it that you thought? How did you know this was going to work? What, what is it that made you do this stuff? What, you know, after you meet all these people and talk to them, there's no one, spe- there's no one special, more special than yourself. You are just as good as they are. They just think different. That's the line I want you to remember. They think differently. That's okay. it. I like that. I want you to write this down when you're done here. There's two guys I want you to uh, listen to their podcast because it'll change the way you think. Jesse Cole, he runs a Savannah Bananas. It's a baseball team in Savannah. In the summertime, these baseball teams produced nothing. He sold out for three years. He has a podcast of what he's done. Listen to Ryan Hawk, a learning leadership podcast. He he interviews the most powerful people on the planet and will change your life. Okay. And we have to listen to your podcast too. Like that's going to be, I'm I'm so excited. So influence today. And if you just look up Chet Tart, that's Malcolm. You'll find it. That's, that's my uh, famous uncle right there. I'm not letting you get away without answering the question, though, of what three words describe you. You have to answer that one. <laughs> Passion. Okay. Driven empathy. 
Got it. Those are always my questions I ask people and they're like, why do you do that? And I just, I don't know. It's, it's my thing. I, I like to paint a picture of someone, even though everyone now knows like how awesome sauce you are. I'm, I'm, I love your story. I really want you to write a book. Can you write a book? <laughs> That's I, what my two daughters say. They, they, um, they say, we are finding so many things out about you. We didn't know we were, we were at dinner one, maybe 20 years ago. I'll give you this story to end with. And uh, the phone rang, and I don't know where I was. And uh, Caroline picked up the phone and said, there's a woman on the phone that says she knows you. I said, what's her name? Stacy. I said, I don't know if it's Stacy. She said, well, she knows who you are. Said, All right. So I called up and said, Stacy. And she said, will you bring big brother to my husband, John? I said, yes. Is he alive? He said, oh, yeah, he's fine. But all he does is talk about you. We couldn't find you. So they went online for this thing where they found you. And he wants to meet you and talk to you. I said, really? He said, yeah, he's on the phone. So I talked to him on the phone. And I hadn't talked to him in 20 years. But I was his big brother when I was in New Jersey. And so my daughter says, we didn't know that you were big brother. I said, yeah, yeah, I did the stuff with him. And then um, Caroline became friends with them and went down and they got remarried again. You know how you do your vows again? And I was yeah. mad at his wedding again. And Caroline blown away by it all because she went down with me and she said, Dad, you have so many stories. We don't yeah. know anything about you. It, it would have to be like volume. I don't know what you would title the book, but it would, there, there would be like volumes embedded within the book. And I feel like there needs to be like, some sarcasm in there, like, you know, something like, so you want to be in the game kind of thing, because you have, you know, and, and, and when everyone always says, oh, it was easier back then. No, it wasn't. It was not easier back then. It's all the same game. It's just when you get in and like you said, how head driven you are to accomplish these things. Like you need a book. You have to be, I could like help you edit if you need. I have those teacher writing skills. Don't trust me. That's just me putting my own two cents in there. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I do have a title for the book. Oh, you do? Yes. Going, do you... through, going Through Life in a Fog. That's actually really good. Think about all the people I met that I didn't know. I mean, Larry King started my career out. My voice coach was Don Pardo. Um, I had, um, you know, I met Jay Leno. I met, uh, when I was in Tucson, I left the radio station to go to New York. And they filled my position with a guy named Jimmy Kimball. <laughs> so he followed me in Tucson. Oh my God. That's so, awesome. and then he would call me, said, is this your, is this your, I used to walk around with a sandwich sign. And he said, this, he called me one day, he said, Hey, I'm taking your place at the radio station. I said, Oh, great. He said, is this your sandwich sign? Do you want it? I said, no, you can throw it out. I don't want it anymore. So that's the only time I talked to him. But, the guy, the guy went to Hollywood, and that's Jimmy Kimball. He followed me on the radio. You know, um, I was a co-host for um, Grand Opening of a Mall with a guy named Ed McMahon. I uh, so, I, and I don't remember. So I call, I call it going through life in a fog because I met all these people. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of stories that you don't know, and a lot of stories that even my own family doesn't know because it just happens. Right. You know, being in this business is just happened you know um time the doobie brothers beat up my disc jockey uh, I, I got that story i mean i called him up i said i needed to do, to do the shows for me at the santa cruz beach and boardwalk and um, because uh, 
the nighttime guy was one of the Doobie Brothers. I said, he, he said, well, you can't use the name Doobie Brothers because somebody else owns it. I said, okay, can you play the song? He said, yeah. So I put, put him on at 7 o'clock. They showed up at 5 o'clock. And uh, I said, dude, you're not due here till 7. People bought tickets. He said, you know, we don't want to hang around that late. So they get up and they did great. So they did Jesus Just All Right for Me, um, listen to the music, China Grove, and then they get off. My disc jockey comes up there and he says, the doobies are leaving. They're supposed to be up here at seven. And he goes, doobies suck, doobies suck. And the whole crowd's doing the same thing. He goes back to broadcast live and they go back while he's on the air and beats them up. Oh. So I have stories like, I'm sitting next to a guy in an airplane. And um, I'm reading the thing called Radio and Records, which is only for the industry. And I'm on the window seat. And the guy next to me says, I look at that. I said, this is not the New York Times. It's Radio and Records. I know what it is. I said, you do? He said, yeah. I said, oh, what do you do? He says, I'm in the music business. Oh, what do you do? He says, I'm in a group. He said, oh, what do you do? And he asked me, I said, uh, I consult radio stations on what music to play. And he said, um, I have a song out. I said, oh, you do? He says, yeah. I said, so I, he goes, he turns it over, and there it is, number one with a bullet. I go, I never heard of the group before. <laughs> and so I sat next to the lead singer of this group called Saga, and <laughs> I never heard of the group before, and it was called On the Loose. And he was flying somewhere. I was on another airplane flying, and I got, it was Piedmont Airline. I'm leaving Dayton, Ohio, to go back to New York, and a guy sitting next to me is a fall asleep next to the window. I didn't say anything to the guy, and he's sleeping there that so we get close to New York. He wakes up and he said, Hey, thanks a lot for not bothering me while I'm sleeping. I said, you're welcome. And I looked over it with Tony Bennett. <laughs> so when I say I went through a life with a five, these are all these people I met. Yeah. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. You need to write this. Have you started writing or is it just a no, thought process? Started. I haven't started writing. There's not one person I talked to telling me that I should write, you know, that I should write the book. Thanksgiving uh, dinners over at Sam Kaiser's house. There's been plenty of stories there. Hanging around with uh, NBC, being 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 the first one that in the audience for the we have a new show we're putting on. I said, really? He said, we don't have an audience because you come over because I'm across the street. And I offered. I said, yeah. What show is it? He goes, it's a new guy named David Letterman. He said, we we need to fill the audience up because nobody knows who he is. Hey, I'll come over. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's crazy. I love these stories. These are stories I like, not the whole like, you know, like, oh my God, I met a famous person. No, no, you like, because you're, you're honest. You're like, oh, I had no idea. It just happened that way. Right, exactly. That's so cool. I, I honestly, thank you for taking all this time with me because I know it's good for you. I, honestly, I'm obsessed. I love it all. And I, I can't wait to start listening to your podcast. I know I'm not going to be driving to work. But I will listen to it in my home because I need to step away sometimes from the uh, mommy hat and the teacher hat. But um, I'm going to make sure I put everything, those books that you mentioned, your podcast in the show notes so all the listeners can tune in, check it out. I hope everyone learned something as much as I did. That's not me being biased because he's my uncle. It's just because he's honest to God. Like, this is a true coach. This is someone that is telling you what to do. And it's not like, you know, 
I'm Venmoing him anything and hopefully he doesn't send me a bill in the mail. But um, <laughs> thank you guys so much for tuning in to another great episode on Four Pointing Life. Every Sunday, a new great episode at 12 noon. So let's talk more next Sunday. Bye, guys. <laughs>